You ready? Okay. This is Radio 568, Bar Crawl Radio, and here we go. Hi, I'm Alan Winson. And I'm Rebecca McCain. We are the producers and hosts of Bar Crawl Radio. We created the BCR podcast because we enjoy the human-centered warmth of the bars we visit in our Manhattan neighborhood. Talking with each other and with people we meet sitting next to us at the bar establishes our neighborhood and places us within the neighborhood. We record live in bars and broadcast on www.radio568.com. We talk to the bartenders and chefs and owners and politicians and artists and friends about what we find interesting. We post upcoming broadcasts on Facebook and you are invited to join us at Upper West Side Bars for our live recordings. Let us know what you're up to. Then we edit our live bar broadcast into an hour podcast. You can subscribe to Bar Crawl Radio Podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. If you enjoy interesting conversations, try out our podcast. Like us on Facebook. Let us know what you think about the podcast and recommend topics you'd like us to cover. Support us to continue Bar Crawl Radio programming. If you see our logo, a martini glass and headphones in a bar window, drop in. Grab a shot out. Who, Who knows? knows? We, we may be, be at, at a bar, bar near you. Yeah, we're Bar Crawl Radio. We're on Radio 568. We're going out live. And we're going to podcast later on iTunes and Stitcher, maybe tomorrow. Hey, 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 yeah, honey, yeah, yeah. guess what? What, what, Becky? This is Radio? our ninth program. Yeah. And it's the first of our second season. Oh, my God. I, I hope I live to the third. Pew, we're so hot. <laughs> and, and right now we're broadcasting live. Uh, I call it Live Raw over Radio 568 uh, with all the recording warts that will be cleaned up later. Though we had a guest here, Fran is going to be talking to her later. She said we should leave the warts in. Yeah. Updating our website. We, well, we are updating the website, but that's got well, a, lot, yeah. it's a lot of work. Well, you know, it is a lot of work, and but also we want to ask our listeners to do a little work, too. Yeah. We want to ask you all to subscribe to us on either iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a five-star review. Yep. And, you know, we want to get more listeners in, and, and it'll just be more fun that way. You know, try something new. Right, right. And, and, you know, also, you didn't say we're going to be now broadcasting out of Oh, Kephards yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be broadcasting and podcasting once a month from Gephardt's Beer Culture. Right. Beer Culture, beer culture bar. bar. That's what I'm putting. Say Beer, cult- beer culture Beer Culture Bar. bar. Okay. Right. 228 West 72nd Street in New York City. And if you're in the neighborhood, come on in. And say hi. We're going to also be going out and doing some... Other interviews at other bars, bringing them back to get parts. Yeah, Alan's going to be crawling the bars. I'm going to be crawling the bars, bringing back some sound for other bars. Uh, we have, uh, um, I just report, I'm going to be reporting on the Audubon Society and the Broadway Mall. They're working to bring new art to the mall. It's going to be very interesting about extinct birds and these gigantic monumental. Yeah, you were describing it to birds. me. I just, it's hard to even fathom. I yeah, can't see yeah. it. So we're going to report on that next month. That's our next month here. And we should, we'll get, get pictures and put it up on the, the website Absolutely. and Facebook. Absolutely. So, so we're going to publish the dates of our mm-hmm. BCR Gephardt's recordings on, on uh, BCR Facebook page. So visit us 
and come and try Matt Gephardt's Revolving Choice of Beers. Come up to the porch, say hi, and maybe get on mic. Yeah, we're up here at the Gephardt porch. Uh, That's what we're calling it. If you're walking along 72nd Street, right below uh, Trader Joe's. It's a very cool bar. You can see us broadcasting, and you see all the stars that we're bringing in here to Gephardt's bar. So see us working, say hi. So who do we have with us today, dear? Well, we have the American Scoreboard. It's a theater group. And they're presenting important U.S. congressional hearings. Um, we're going to be talking with the show's producers, Fran Kermser and Christopher Burney. And we have two of their actors who we'll talk about a little later. And they're going to be doing a scene from um, a possible next production that they're going to be having. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk, we'll talk more about that. We also have presidential scholar Brian Arbor is with us today uh, to discuss executive leadership styles. How does our great leader's style of communicating and ruling compare with presidents of the past? Mm -hmm. And so we'll, we'll get to that. What are you, what are you drinking? Uh, the usual uh, Tito's and, and uh, tonic. Right. And I'm having this uh, really kind of fruity beer. Is it good? Do you like yeah, it? Yeah, I, I like it. Okay. Surprisingly. Good. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just a fruity beer, and well, I like it. Good. All right. It's good. So we, we were here at Gephardt's about two weeks ago, and we talked right. with... Um, Scylla, Scylla. Scylla. Mm -hmm. Priscilla, who's Priscilla's a bartender name. here. It's we a great got, name. We got into this conversation about about um, About nicknames. names. About nicknames. And names. And names. Yeah. Yeah, so, what we call ourselves. Right. So I was Which saying, is going to link to the rest of the program, because our great leader also gives people names. Yes, he does. So that's the link. He here. calls people names. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that when I was a child, I did not like my name. I didn't like Becky. And, and I had these two friends... I think, and maybe this is why, because they made fun of me, and they said that my name sounds like a chicken, and they'd say, buck, 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 buck. so well, I never liked it, but then I didn't want to be called Rebecca, because Rebecca, to me, was this beautiful, you know, woman with, you know, long, beautiful red hair, uh, like a gorgeous model kind of person, and <laughs> that wasn't me. So I didn't, I was, you know, I had a really identity crisis, and I always wanted a nickname, and the, I only got bad nicknames, like Fatso, you know, so that, I have a real problem <laughs> with names. Right, and I, my nickname when I was in, uh, you know, I got bad nicknames and good nicknames. The, uh, when, when I was in the Spanish class, Mr. Martinez, there was another Alano, because I'm Alan, so Alano was already taken, so mm -hmm. I was Saul. Yeah. And I thought, wow, cool. Saul. Saul is cool. So I, I, would, I would bring like a saber and like I put on a mustache. Yeah, but no. you were Saul. Why? I Tell them why. Well, my middle name is Saul. 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 So Saul I don't like. I don't <laughs> like Saul. It's just too kind of, you know, Jewishy. And But yeah. Saul. Saul, oh, yes. Oh, he's the romantic. Yes. Right. Tell me what you said about the uh, teacher, though, honey. Uh, well, well, he, he was confessed. pretty cool. Yeah, well, he, I had a man crush. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on Mr. Martinez. It was Mr. Siri. He was a science teacher. Oh, oh, Mr. Siri. Yeah, Mr. Siri was a, a, a dark, um, brooding soul, and I. You I you confessed this to me after <laughs> <laughs> thirty-seven years of marriage. Right, I, I get I get man crushes. Hmm. You know, it's it, it happens. I guess I had girl my, crushes my, too. My good my good friend Paul. His name is Rube, the R Rube. The Rube, yeah. Right, and he calls me Woodstick. No, or Woody. Woody. He calls me Woody, but Woody. it used to be Woodstick. Was I, it? I don't know because I'm tall. But and you thin. liked that. I did like it. See, when your friends give you nicknames, that's that's good. Right. You, but when people that don't like you give you nicknames, that's that's being a bully. Right. Chris Hoffman, who does the Oracle Bowl, he oh, likes yeah, to be yeah, Elvis. Yeah. yeah. But our president also likes to give nicknames. Yeah. And um, that's another way of giving nicknames, which is a way of controlling. 
So, I mean, I made a whole list of and them. Bullying. We can't go, you know, Sneaky Diane, Feinstein, Sloppy Steve, Bannon, Crooked Hillary, Little Marco, Lion Ted, yeah. Crazy Bernie, Little Rocket Man, Pocahontas, Crying Chuck, Jeff Flakey, uh, Al Frankenstein. I mean, yeah. um, it goes on and on and on. And I think that's a way for the bully to, to control. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, I know. It is. It's true. Honey, we got yeah. we to gotta move on yeah, we to gotta our move on, right. talk to Fran and Chris. I think so. So when we return... We'll be talking with the producers and actors from American Scoreboard. They are enacting recent U.S. congressional hearings. Uh, I'll try that again. <laughs> they are enacting recent U.S. congressional hearings, and we'll hear a bit from their upcoming production. Actually, we'll be hearing a bit from their possible upcoming production. That's what I just heard. So we are Bar Crawl Radio, and uh, we're coming to you from Gephards, and I'm bringing in the music that's going to give, bring us out and bring us back in. John Weiss Trio from Cleopatra's on Broadway, West 92nd Street. The more I see, the more I want you. Somehow this feeling just grows and grows. The more I sigh, I become more mad about you. More sad about you. So it goes. Becky and I first attended an American scoreboard production at the HB studio about two years ago. So about 100 days into the Trump era, I had a conversation with Fran Kermzer and Christopher Burney about their theatrical brainchild. In, uh, we did so in the Radio 568 studio at John Jay College. I've since attended an American scoreboard dramatic performance reading of the Betsy DeVos. I think DeVos. it was with you. What? With Be- when they did the Betsy No, DeVos. no, no, you weren't. You, I wasn't? You were, you what, were, what did I hear? It was the one at HB Studio. Okay. Maybe we can ask them about that. (laughs) They'll they'll remember. So I attended an American Scoreboard dramatic performance reading of the Betsy DeVos confirmation hearing. And if you're confused about linking congressional hearings and actor performance, stick around. All will be revealed. Christopher Burney is the Associate Director of Second Stage Theater. He's the curator of Second Stage Uptown. He's been with that group since 1997. And Fran Kermzer, a former dancer is a producer of plays and film. 2013, she won the Tony Award for Best Revival of a Play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And she heads up a consulting company dedicated to the emerging artist. Uh, We also have two actors with us. They're going to be reading from the upcoming or maybe upcoming production of American Scoreboard. And we'll talk with them in a bit. Right now, we're going to talk to Fran and Chris. Welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, thanks yeah, for having us. Yeah, just get right up to the mic so we can get a nice, bright sound from, from you. It's, it's so great. We, we had talked about, maybe, it's almost a year ago, maybe 10 months ago. Yes. And now we're well into the, into the Trump era. Why don't you tell our audience, what is American Scoreboard? American Scoreboard is a reading series in usually the live stage platform of the theater. And we read uh, verbatim Senate and congressional hearings uh, to get a better understanding of what the issues are on the table, who makes up our government, and how they work together or sometimes not work so well together. Yes, right. So when you say verbatim, so you, it's absolutely what you, the transcript from the We do not edit the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the great things is there is a public record of what our public servants have to say in Washington, and we do everything to get a hold of those. Documents. But you know we can we can see these things on C-SPAN. They're there. They're uh, they're available. Absolutely, you can, you can read about them. So, what's the point of putting them on stage when it's exactly the same words? 
actually that's how the idea came about. During the election, I was very confused, and I turned to all kinds of resource material and became hooked on C-SPAN. Wow. And found that it was so inherently dramatic. And after uh, the right after the election, Chris and I sat down and we talked Much about like at a situation like this at a bar, actually. Yes. Oh, the best idea. <laughs> well, you know, that's why, that's why we have Bar Crawl Radio, because the best conversations... That we I've had at a bar or at home while we're drinking. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this is true. This is true. <laughs> so we discussed how inherently dramatic these uh, hearings are, and um, Chris put his uh, creative expertise to it. And and one of the are. things I'll say is, you know, in addition to our work as producers, Fran and I are also both teachers. And one of the things that this, you know, election cycle has, has shown us and its aftermath is the lack of value of education and, and truth. And so we wanted to find a way to take our theatrical talents and merge them with our educational passion to share these ideas and these stories. And just one thing, you know, we should add is, you know, we are entering into the world where some of the material is public record, some of the material is broadcast on C-SPAN, but some of it now is not. And we actually were trying to get ahead of the, a time when we might be living in a government that was trying not to share information with the general public. So like, for example, what we'll be reading later today. Right, right. And so this stuff is not, this will be, people will hear this for the first time when they go and see this production, if in fact you, you, you decide to do, do this piece that we're going to be hearing later. Correct. Uh, because possible. we'll be hearing a dramatic reading of, of, a, of a verbatim hearing, and we'll reveal that in, uh, in, in, in a few moments. What topics have you covered so far? Healthcare, uh, banking, um, Russian interference in the election, and education. Right, the Bessie DeVos piece, which I saw at the school downtown. We did that at Pace University. You had a really nice crowd there. We did. You know, it was a really interesting reading. They all are, but this one was particularly exciting because Chris had had the idea to cast the uh, actors uh, as young professional actors and young actors from the public school system and the university system. So there were young people reading the parts of the senators. Who were old in reality. In but reality. They were playing, like, these and so it was just so dynamic because these kids, um, very mature kids, some of them much more mature than adults, um, were really reading material that, that they felt so passionately about because it directly affected their, affects their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was particularly taken in that piece at the end when, um, and I, I think it was Warren, was asking for more time, mm -hmm. and it was that whole process that you got that you don't really get. I think on C-SPAN is this kind of back and forth, it's the kind political of the struggle. Well, part that of that was on C-SPAN. All of that played out on C-SPAN, okay. and I remember yeah. watching it live, and it was stunning because it really it screamed to you, the viewer, how dysfunctional the system is right. and in the moment nobody really knew how, what the protocol was they didn't know because i thought that they had i mean what is it called the rule of order the rule of law the rule of uh, right there are rules but there are rules upon rules and what you learn through this series is how our government sometimes and the people who work in our government work the rules to their benefit right now, now one of the things we should add um you know the point of american scoreboard is to presents these issues in a nonpartisan way. We don't even say bipartisan. We actually try to just put the information out there in a truthful way and in a dynamic way so that people can really engage and decide 
how they feel about the issue. It's, it's our way to try to combat the kind of confirmation bias that we all are subject to in this era of news bites. You know, Alan, you're talking about how much of this was on the news, but you're only seeing little clips of it, and you tend to only look for those clips that reaffirm what you believe. Yeah. So we really want to put out there what the whole breadth of the information is. And we've had Republicans and Democrats in the audience. We are aware of having both uh, sides of the aisle as viewers, and it's really fascinating to listen to everybody leave. I mean, admittedly, we have more Democrats in the audience because this is New York City. Well, when I was there at the divorce hearing, but I'm putting air quotes around it. Uh, it seemed to be a very democratic crowd, or not democratic, very kind of liberal, anti-Trump crowd. Well, it's interesting. I think one of the things that we've learned through this process that we're still trying to find ways of breaking through are ways to be sure that this uh, sense of sharing information crosses the aisle. Because when it does, that's when theater, that's when narrative has its most dramatic impact. You know, for example, you know, we've talked about this, Alan, before. We were, um, and we still are, bringing the DeVos hearing to Washington, D.C., but we actually were supposed to be bringing it to uh, a major institution this month and um, we were all to lined be up. An institution not to be named. An institution not to be right, named. It's like Voldemort. I know. Um, uh, and, and the institution was incredibly supportive of this nonpartisan, inclusive dialogue that American Scoreboard provides. When they pushed out the information to their entire constituency, one of their board members wrote back and said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm friends with Betsy DeVos. You cannot do this. And even so they though had it, veto power. They had veto power, even mm -hmm. though what we are doing is part of the public record and in no way is slamming Betsy DeVos. In fact, it provides a fairly complex view of who DeVos is and what that hearing was. Uh, we were still shut down. Right. Mm. You um, um, had, we had had this conversation uh, in, in depth in the uh, Radio 568 studios at John Jay College. On Playtalk. And I, on Playtalk. And I'm going to make that available on our iTunes um, after we're done with this, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll make Great. it available. Because I thought it was a really interesting conversation. We really can't get too far into it. But let me say this. And shout out to, sh to uh, Tracy Shane, yes. who played DeVos. Mm -hmm. And yes. she played uh, DeVos in the studio and also on stage, mm -hmm. this production that we're talking about. And my experience, if I can quickly tell you, is that Tracy Shane humanized DeVos, which I thought was the positive aspect to it. I, I, I didn't think that she came across, you know, she doesn't come across as an intellect. Warren does. Well, not an intellect, but Warren comes across as someone who's smart. And DeVos doesn't, but I felt for her. Is, is that what you're going for, is to humanize that face of the Trump crowd? It's not about humanizing. You know, look, one of the great things about working with actors is actors are often put into roles that they have no affinity with in their personal life. And they have to find a way to speak that character's truth from a place of truthful compassion. And we are trying to make the world through American Scoreboard cross the aisle. And it is that compassionate voice that provides the opportunity. I will say, like, we have had people from both sides of the aisle attend. And what makes me really excited is when someone who is more liberal actually understands a conservative point of view and someone who's conservative understands a liberal point of view and then can discuss it. Because we really are one country and we are stronger together.
Absolutely. Also, actors really, they know how to place language, and not all of the senators do. Some of them prepare so well for their statements in the hearings, mm-hmm. but the delivery isn't as strong with some of them as others. And with actors, you really hear the language, and this is so important right now because everybody is watching. Everybody is paying attention, and one of the big strengths and what gets us excited about this series is that it provides information, and that can only be a positive as we move forward. Yeah. I wanted to ask actually is if you're getting any notice I mean I know you got you were talking about some uh, an organization that was interested in Washington have you talked to any other other people any politicians any the series has caught the attention of politicians um, in all levels of the government and um, it is being recognized out there as well in publications we've had a shout out in the New York Times and we've been covered by various uh, theatrical publications and Politico and very nice uh, political publications as well yes we're going to hear a little dramatic reading of a um, a piece that was actually hidden from us for a while Uh, I'm gonna let Chris introduce it we're gonna switch as as we move our actors over and so um, we're going we're gonna to make a switch here. And all of this is going out live raw. It'll all be edited out. Oh, why do you keep saying that? It's so silly. Because I don't do it. I leave it in. I know. <laughs> um, so a little bit about what we're about to read. So uh, just last week, actually, there was uh, a lot of notice when Senator Dianne Feinstein released a transcript from a judiciary hearing, judiciary committee hearing, on uh, the involvement and the research of Fusion GPS. This was an interview that happened in August 2017. Uh, It's best sometimes referred to as the Christopher Steele document. And the interview was requested as part of the Senate Judiciary Committee's investigation of Fusion GPS's activities related to that dossier. Fusion GPS was co-founded by Glenn Simpson, and he told members of the Senate Judiciary Committee that law enforcement officials had already been investigating President Trump's team for Russia connections before the Steele dossier was even completed. So I think what we know is that there were, after this uh, hearing that happened in August, there were accusations that Republicans were leaking selectively from the hearing. So on January 9th, Senator Feinstein, uh, the top Democrat on the judiciary panel, unilaterally released Simpson's more than 300 pages of testimony to the committee. So this is an example of something that was conducted in Washington, but was not part of the visual record, and it had not been released. So we're reading a short excerpt from this. What's kind of interesting about this hearing is it was actually conducted by the counsel for Chairman Grassley and for Senator Feinstein, the ranking Democratic member. Today we're just going to be reading a short excerpt uh, of that, which includes Heather Sawyer, who's the general counsel for Senator Dianne Feinstein, as well as Glenn Simpson, the co-founder of Fusion GPS. So the actors we have with us right now are uh, Brooke Wiseman. She's appeared in engagements at the second stage, Fly Guy, and other stories at TheaterWorks USA, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and others. And Brooke is also a host for the podcast Splat, which analyzes sex in the city from a 2018 perspective. Welcome, fellow podcaster. Thank you. Thank you. And we also have with us James Patrick Nelson. He was nominated for an Innovative Theater Award for his performance in Old Familiar Face at the New York City Fringe. James stars in three upcoming feature films, Adam, Being, and Love and Kilnery. 
He recently appeared in Bedlam Theatre's production of Sense and Sensibility. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. And, uh, and I'll just add that I will be reading the part of Joshua Levy. <laughs> oh, sorry, yes. Joshua Levy, who is the lawyer for Glenn Simpson. Okay. So you had mentioned a few minutes ago that you had done some political or campaign research in the course of the 2016 presidential election, and you clarified that that was work related to then-candidate and now-President Trump. What can you tell us about that work? Can you just describe it first generally, and then I'll ask you some follow-up? It was, broadly speaking, a kind of holistic examination of Donald Trump's business record and his associations, his bankruptcies, his suppliers, you know, offshore or third world suppliers of products that he was selling. You know, it evolved somewhat quickly into issues of his relationship to organized crime figures, but, you know, really the gamut of Donald Trump. What we generally do at the beginning of a case, if it's possible, is to order all the books about the subject from Amazon, so we're not reinventing the wheel and we know what's been written and said before. So this was typical. We ordered every Donald Trump book, and to my surprise, that's a lot of books. I was never very interested in Donald Trump. He was not a serious political figure that I'd ever had any exposure to. He's a New York figure, really. So anyway, we read everything we could read about Donald Trump. Those books cover his divorces, his casinos, his early years dealing with labor unions and mafia figures. I'm trying to think what else. His taxes certainly have always been a big issue. Again, it was sort of an unlimited look at his, you know, his business and finances and that sort of thing. And when did this work begin? It was either September or October of 2015. I recall being in London on other business and hearing somebody wanted for us to take a look at it. And what can you tell us about who engaged you initially to do that work? Uh, that answer to that question might implicate privilege. So it's been publicly reported that the initial engagement of September to October 2015 was by someone with ties, with Republican ties. Can you confirm whether that is accurate or not? We're not going to talk about the identity of clients. So with regard to this engagement in September that began initially in September or October 2015, what were you asked specifically to do by the client? I don't have specific recollection of there being a specific tasking. I believe it was, why don't you take a look at Donald Trump? It looks like he may, you know, be more successful than people think. Something. There was some level of insight that he had a better shot than people were giving him at the time. But it was an open-ended request, like most of the things that we get. And again, on, on that one, was the work directed at all by the client? Did they ask you to look at any particular aspects of candidate Trump's background? I don't... I know there was... We're not going to get into client communications. It's privileged. Were you in any way limited in the research that you did or the facts that you wanted to pursue? Can I talk generally about my practices and the history? Sure. I mean, in general, it's very rare for someone to tell me, look here, don't look here. For the most part, we're looking at, you know, we're trying to understand something big. So it's really kind of productive for somebody to tell you, look here, don't look here. I'm interested in X, but not Y. So we generally sort of push back when that happens, but I have to say we sort of set the rules at the beginning and people, you know, accepted those terms. So generally that's what we explain to people in the beginning of our engagements, you know, let us do our jobs and that's the way it works best. And did that, can you tell us whether that general practice and rule applied to the engagement that you took on in September or October 2015 with regard to candidate Trump? You can answer that without getting into client communications. I mean, we were, it was general order. As you know, various people will tell you, I'm, you know, it would be like herding a cat, right? We're going to do what we do, so it was regular order. 
And then when you spoke to my, with my colleagues earlier, you had indicated that sometimes when facts are gathered, you present options to a client and you articulated kind of four options, a potential lawsuit, take it to the government agency, give it to Congress, give it to the press. Did you, were those the general options on the table with regard to this engagement as well? If you can discuss it without talking about client communications, if you can't, you can't. I'm just trying to, because it evolved, it's a little bit hard to, I mean, in the beginning of this case, like pretty much every case, there was no, there was no range of options. There weren't. It, it was a request to see what we could find out about Donald Trump and the, you know, goal or sort of reason that there wasn't really one. It was, tell me what we need to know about this guy. So later on, you know, we started getting press inquiries and at that point, you know, the sort of press element enters the equation, but I can't really get into what they told me or didn't tell me to do. And are you free today to talk to us about any of the actual findings from that research and that engagement? Yes. And scene. Wow. That, 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 is, wow. that is terrific. Oh my that God. That is so great. I'd <laughs> like you. to talk with the actors a little bit. I hadn't planned on this, but... I think we have time. I think we, yeah, we, yeah. we have, we have, we have, a, we have a few minutes, so few we're, minutes. we're, we're good. Thank you very much, Brooke and, and James. How, m my question is this. Um, these are the lines of real people. I, I used to be an actor, so it's like <laughs> I'm curious about the, the experience here. Th this is not a playwright writing these lines. These are actual lines written by people who are going through a moment with a lot of thinking. I mean, I could tell there's a lot of both of you, a lot of thinking that was going on. What's the experience of reading this as opposed to, say, reading a play line? Um, Is there a difference? I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think Chris spoke to this a little bit earlier, that like when we're given a text we and a character that we don't necessarily have, it's not our experience that we have to portray or speak to whatever that character's truth is in that moment and hopefully you know a playwright will write a character that also when they speak has thought intensely about what they're saying or not um and so just approaching this you know in the same way as you would approach another play i think is actually more helpful than going into it being like i'm playing a republican or i'm playing a senator right, right, right. you know because we have our biases that come with that and being a part of the DeVos reading, I was a, a Republican and, you know... Who did you play? I was... Oh, my God. Who was I? Tim Scott. <laughs> okay, we, we can't remember. Don't I, I don't remember. Need, I was there, so... Yeah. yeah. Um, but someone completely different than me and uh, someone I probably don't agree with, but I had to go up there and speak to his truth or what he prepared and, and do that with the authenticity that he would have when he came into the so room. So that's what you look for. You look for the emotional truth of the of the lines, of the words. Yeah. Do you listen to the C-SPAN, um, I don't know, hearings? Or, or I, I had heard some of these passages quoted on MSNBC a few, uh -huh. a few, a few days ago when these documents were first released. But that's it. That's, what, that's your, the extent of your... No, oh no, I, I've, I've been more glued to the news media like since this election yeah. than I ever was before. Right, I think that's yeah. probably true for most of most. No, but I mean listening <laughs> to these um, oh. people speaking. Uh, like in well, I, I guess I, it's... Go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I, I think to the, the point that Brooke was making before to your, your first question, it is, it's true that compared to some plays, perhaps the sentences are less incomplete or the tangents are more extensive or there's more ums and swallows and... and in, in, in this. In this text than there might be in some plays. But as with anything else we approach, there are people who have a really strong uh, 
intention for why they're there, something that they're looking for. I mean, with, with this sort of more yeah. than most plays, it's pretty self-evident that the person is actively trying to get something out of the other person yep. yes. and say what they want yes. to hear. You know. And the ums and the pauses and the errs yeah, are helpful. actually, yeah. they're very, they're interesting in and of themselves. It humanizes yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And know. it's always a clue. I mean, even like with, even classical text, it's like there's always clues to find in it of like when is the person speaking in a sustaining way yeah. right, and when are right, they speaking right. in a really halting way? When do right. they seem to know exactly what they're talking about and when do they stumble and then what does that tell right. you about What's interesting about um, coming from something that's been transcribed is that you, when you get a text and you're the first person to speak it, you know, punctuation is put there specifically and a, and a dash and a period and a comma and an ellipsis mean different things. But when it's transcribed, it's sort of the... Uh, reverse effect of that where you you are hearing the inflection that it's being put in is being put on the page so it's almost it's fun in a way to sort of reverse that process and be like okay well I know that if I were to listen to this I would I would it would be very clear why the punctuation is transcribed the way that it was and it's it's a very it's like a roadmap for us as actors there's a there's a really amazing uh, david hare play called stuff happens that was written in 2008 that takes that much like what we've done here takes a whole lot of things that were actually said by george bush and tony blair and condoleezza rice and uh-huh. Colin powell and everybody from that administration uh-huh. and and un, unfettered unedited just puts it out there and it's inherently dramatic so I mean, this is this is a great thing that 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 these folks have done to like yeah. to see what's so inherently dramatic about this. And yeah. the, and the fir- I remember the I the before I did a reading of it, I saw an American scoreboard earlier in the year, and it was honestly the first time that I was able to digest what was being said. Um, in it, it just makes it so much more accessible to to people. I think. Um, who don't watch C-SPAN all the time or who hear it. And, and for me personally, like I get overwhelmed listening to NPR all day, every day. And like, it's just, it's hearing it from an actor. It's, it's clear, it's concise, it's, it's easier to understand, but it's still the words that were being said. So right. the message is not any different. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah. Fran and Chris are very specific in their direction of it that you are, you are representing these people and don't put your own bias on top of it. So it, it, I think crossing the aisle, it, it makes it so much more accessible to people who n- normally wouldn't think to um, human, like what you said, it, it, to, to feel connected to someone who is so differing in beliefs than they are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, go on. Go no, on. No, I, uh, I, I wanted to bring uh, Chris and Fran back in before we, we finish up here because it's like we've got the, um, the actor's uh, stance or approach to this. Thank you very and, much. Um, I, I, I'm starting to feel the... Um, inspiration and the genius of doing this um, in our in our times maybe we should always be doing this um, I, I think let me let me just throw out a posit here it's um, by taking these words out of the mouth of the politician lawyer who said it and then putting it into the words of an actor artist producer theatrical stance we hear it in a new way that allows us to take different perspectives, that allows us to think about it and get out of our, get out of our stances. All right, there's my posit. What, what, what? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I do think that's uh, really at the heart of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to engage with the people who, who work for us. You know, the people in D.C. are public servants, and we're trying to get people to understand that they, we should, 
as citizens of this country, who believe in this country, engage with the words that are being said in a meaningful way so we understand how it impacts our lives and the lives of the people around us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very valuable. Um, and um, what is your next production? Do you have a plan? Do, do you know where? Can you give a... Well, as Chris mentioned, we will be bringing the DeVos hearing to Washington before the school year is out. And um, plans are in the making for that. And we... You do know, you have we'll a place? Do you have a venue? <clears throat> we will be announcing that at a later date. All right, well, let's <laughs> you, you let us know. Keep in touch oh, with us. Oh, we definitely we will. And we'll, yes. we'll, we'll, make, we'll make that announcement. And, and I'll also say we are starting to shift um, part of the focus of our transcripts from what happens in Washington to what's happening in the states, Great. what's oh, happening wow. in local governments, and also getting that out uh, in through micro formats, through different podcasts as well. So we're really trying to get diff people to engage with these issues on every level. And we will be keeping in touch with what is rolling out when it's rolling out. That's so we'll great. be looking yes. at tax reform. We'll be looking at the issues as they arise or revisit. Wonderful. Wonderful. Great. And we're going to talk about podcasting this kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> sounds <laughs> good. Because we already had, now we have our first podcast. Well, actually, second yes. one. Second one. We did it. Um, I want to thank Fran and Chris and Brooke and James for your contribution to this conversation about America and about democracy uh, as part of your event, American Scoreboard. And next, we will be talking with Professor Brian Arbor, a pre presidential scholar teaching at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. We are Bar Crawl Radio, recording and broadcasting from Gebhardt's Beer Culture Bar at 228 West 72nd Street. And we'll be right back. Actually, we will be right back. I'm going to be playing the Feinstein uh, piece in which she explains why she released those records. So here we go. Do you have any response to, to Chairman Grassley saying that the release of the transcripts um, hurts the legitimacy of the investigation by the Judiciary Committee? Uh, I, I haven't seen that. No, I have no response at this time. Why did you decide to do that? Oh, because I think people are entitled to know what was said. And the lawyers also wanted it released. I see no problem with releasing it. But Senator Feinstein, um, Senator Grassley yeah. says you jeopardize their ability to get certain witnesses like Kushner. Your reaction? Oh, I don't think so. That's been difficult in any event. Why do you think they referred uh, Steele to the Justice Department for, cr for potential criminal investigation? My own view, because to my knowledge, there has not been a single fact in that report that has been proven to be incorrect, that it's really to muddy the waters and uh, create a problem. Uh, you know, Steele brought this information into the FBI, and uh, it's quite amazing that you get punished for providing information. Joined today by Professor Brian Arbor of the John Jay College Political Science Department, 
Professor Arbor is a scholar in American politics focusing on political communication and campaign strategy in congressional elections. And his most recent book is Candidate-Centered Candidate Centered Campaigns, Political Messages, Winning Personalities, and Personal Appeals. And he has been a member of the Fox News decision team for quite a while. And we understand that your team had, had the big scoop. You mm -hmm. called Doug Jones as the winner of the recent Alabama Senate race. And you wrote us also, the other big scoop is mm -hmm. that you're really deep into parenting. So I don't know if we're getting into the parenting <laughs> part, but I sure, sure would like to hear about that scoop and how you're able to do that, if you can do it quickly. But welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you, Alan. Thank uh, you, Becky. It's Professor Brian Arbor. Yeah. Thank you. What are you drinking? I saw so you. I had a... You finished uh, it already. I had, yes, I finished <laughs> it already. And I'll get back to it soon enough. Okay. So, All right. Um, but... Um, yeah, we, thank we, you for having me. Yeah, it's, it, Thanks it, for it, coming. it's great having you. What, what was it that told you, your team, that Doug uh, was going to win? Sure. So uh, the, the point I sort of make, sort of what I'm most proud of that is the networks, uh -huh. CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, and traditionally Fox News, have all pulled together with the same, to hire the same pollster. We oh, have okay. different teams that analyze the election results and we'll call them at different times. So you have the same statistics, you have the same numbers and... Except we've yeah. left that at Fox News. Oh. And so we're now out on our own and ah. have created our own sort of really what is experimental method for this that we tested in 2017 and we're going to try again in, in 2018 another on, on a polling, much bigger scale. Another polling company or you're doing the polling yourself? Both. Okay. So we, we've hired pollsters. So we you're a hired gun own. now. Uh, I've always have been on this sense. <laughs> um, but yes. Um, so um, this is... The biggest reason to the biggest reason that we think there are problems with the exit polls. The biggest reason why people have kept up with this is changing to something else creates all sorts of uncertainty. Uh, Most of us understand right. what we think are the problems with the exit poll and know how to compensate. Okay. So I spent this year going with I don't know what the problems with this era, with this 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 system is, so I don't know how to compensate for them. So I'm particularly proud of that because we were able to. We think our system's okay. Um, the big question will be there'll be 35 Senate races uh, this November. Right. Yeah, you'll have a test. You'll be able to see. It's yes. a much, much larger right. test. It's yeah. easy to do it in one state. Right, because so, the, right. The, the compensation, I'm sure, is going to change depending on the context. Yes. And that context can get very complex. Yes, and... Yes, and then we have to build, all, as opposed to hiring somebody to provide it to us, we've got to build all this stuff ourselves. So, again, okay. this is inside the weed stuff, and I'm sure Bar Call Radio audience is... is, is Passionate to learn about what happens. Well, well it is interesting. Number no, 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 we have we have a very intellectual audience. Absolutely, <laughs> and we love the background information. I mean, what goes <laughs> on to making that call? That's amazing. It's it's it's. It, I mean, it's fascinating to get to do it. it. It it's you know because like most people, I spent years watching anchors come on and said our decision team has said this. Right, and right, right. Not really knowing what went on behind the process behind the scenes even as a really informed and really intellectual person and now I've gotten to be on the other side. This is really not what we're, we, we came to no, talk I about. No, but, really I wanna, but I, I want to <laughs> ask more questions. So I just want to know, what does it look like backstage? Are you pacing around and reading things and chatting? Are you, are you having a coffee? Are you I am hunched over a computer. Okay. Um, for the last several years, we've been in a conference room. Um, if you recall, in 2012, we called, uh, when we called Ohio, and thus the presidency for Barack Obama, our call was questioned on air, on Fox's air, by Carl Rove. Uh -huh. Fox sent Megyn Kelly to walk down through a bunch of hallways at Fox to what John Stewart the next night described as Dunder Mifflin. 
Um, it's a oh. bunch of nerds sitting around yeah. computers, <laughs> number crunching. Right. Um, and wow. And we took so that with we took that with great pride. That's, were you that's on air we then for, for a minute? If not only on Fox News, I, Fox News, but the next night on the Daily Show, if you go watch the clip. Oh, I want to do it next now. Time, I'll yeah. send it to you, Becky. Okay. Um, the back of my head briefly shows up for a second. Please don't blink at that moment. Okay. But, right. uh, that's, uh, so that's, that's not going to show up on Barbell Radio. But I put a link to that on my tenure application at John Jay. That's uh, great. So that's great. That's my head. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that, that, yes. that's the back of my that's head. Okay. Great. I mean, we could we could go on and on about about predicting elections. <laughs> um, we could have but a whole show. What I wanted to talk about today on this show was the tradition and quality of the U.S. president leadership. This idea yes. of leadership, what <laughs> it is to be a leader. And I'm sure there's a lot of different kinds. I just wanted to open up with the Michael Wolf fire and fury, fury that, that, that came out. Uh, Jonathan Martin uh, had a review in the New York Times, and in it he compared Wolf and Trump as New Yorkers, both of whom, quote, allied facts, fudge the specifics, dispense with professional norms in the service of success and status. So before getting to the main focus of the conversation about the U.S. presidency and leadership, what are your feelings about Wolf's take on Trump? I mean, how much attention should we be given to this Wolf's excoriation of Trump and, and Jervanka and, and, and the others of his staff? Or is this just a one-off and we should forget about it? Um, I, I am conflicted on this, and that, that comes across in, in what Jonathan Martin wrote in The Times and a lot of other people have said, which is, is what Michael Wolf wrote true? Well, is every single word there exactly 100% correct, and he followed clear, proper journalistic techniques to right. find that? No. No. Is okay. the, but there's no one sort of pushing back on the idea that this is an essentially fundamentally wrong assessment of who Donald Trump is or how he runs the White House. The sort of broader truth, and I think if you had Michael Wolf and got him under truth serum, that's what he says he's doing. He's trying to find the broader sort of emotional truth. So maybe the way to think about Michael Wolf is he's somewhere between, um, what I guess we think Woodward and Bernstein or Edward Murrow would do versus what the actors would do. Right, what, um, what, what Shakespeare might do. Yeah, there, there's some sort of essential sort of truth here. Right. Um, and that's, that's probably right. That's apparent, too, in, you know, in the Twitters. that, that yes. you know it, It's apparent in everything that we've heard um, President Trump say. Yes. So, and, and other people have said you know, in other venues... You know, repeated what he said <laughs> just recently. Yes. Um, so it's it's. I mean, I don't know if each thing that this that Wolf said is verifiable, but certainly, like you say, the general tenor of it is, I think, pretty evident. Yeah. I mean, the president is emotional and guttural. He is distracted and you know a a mediocre CEO at best um, because he's not attentive to what the what the job is and um, not you know this is not who the board of directors would have selected yeah. for president uh, for this position right yeah, no. we, we, we have you here a presidential scholar and I'd like to pull away from Trump for a while it yeah. doesn't take, take take a long view sure I have a quote here that Eisenhower uh, as he defined the nature of the presidential leadership this is right after World War II uh, and he was quoted in the New York Times in a recent editorial by John Meacham um, and this is what Eisenhower said. He said, I happen to know a little, a little about leadership. Um, and I'll tell you this. You do not lead by hitting people over the head. Any damn fool can do that. But it's usually called assault, not leadership. I'll tell you what leadership is. It's persuasion, conciliation, education, patience, 
It's long, slow, tough work. That's the only kind of leadership I know or believe in or will practice. Was that Eisenhower? I believe so, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, well, what that quote recalls to me is Max Weber's quote that you know, politics is the, the, is the slow sawing of long boards is that in particularly in a, demo, in a democracy where, and particularly in a constitutional democracy like the United States, where the president, there's very little the president can order and have done immediately. Uh, the president can order and get a Diet Coke immediately. He does that frequently. But his ability to get <laughs> things done that he wants, um, the other quote I was recalling, as you sort of said that, is something that's in, one of the classic political science texts about presidential leadership uh, written by Richard Neustadt, who worked in the Eisenhower administration and at Truman, and he recalls Truman saying, you know, you know, poor Ike, in the military, he's used to ordering people things, you know, people do whatever he says. Right. When he's here, it's not like, it won't be like that. Yeah. And so you hear some reflection on sort of that, that experience by, by Eisenhower, and I suspect he would argue the military wasn't quite like sort of Truman's yep. sort of thing here. It required... You know, if you look at sort of Eisenhower as a World War II general, he was not a brilliant tactician. He was not an inspirational leader, but he was an exceedingly exceptional organizational genius. Hmm. And he really sort of, you know, and, you know, the, the, the U.S. won World War II because we had superior resources and we effectively employed them. And our best generals basically in World War II were bureaucrats. And it's a big deal right. in war. <laughs> yeah. In battles. And yeah. So, so, that, so part of that presidential leader, in order to be a successful president, whatever that is, is to be, uh, have an organized mind. Yes. And be able to see things in conjunction with other things, see the big picture and how one thing relates to another yes. and all that. So, um, is, so is there a nature to the U.S. presidential leadership? Is there a style is there an approach, or has it really changed drastically over the 250 years or more that we've been It's a certainly changed drastically over the 250 years. Part of that is accessibility. George Washington was this sort of godlike figure for uh -huh. obvious reasons, right? He had yeah. achieved something that, you know, greater yeah. than... He still is a godlike yeah, figure. And yeah, for, and um, he was seen almost above. And, of course, the Constitution was designed around the idea that Washington's going to be the president. We will talk him into, he yeah, doesn't want to do right. it, but we will talk him into doing this because yeah. there is no other choice. Right. Um, and for the first century, the president was at a great remove from the public. And that has changed over time. So in the 19th century, the expectation is the president would not campaign. Campaigning is below right. the they president. They didn't campaign, that's right. And so this sort of slow, I mean, there would be literally no campaigning. Uh, by the late sort of the seminal sort of campaign in this is 1896 in which William Shinning Bryan, who was the Democratic nominee, gets on a train and travels around the country, sort of first president to do this. His opponent, William McKinley, and his campaign manager, um, uh, John Hanna, or Mark Hanna, excuse me, um, his sort of insight was to have delegations come to McKinley's home. So mm. he was able to get great press coverage out of that, you know, yeah. sort of competing levels of press coverage for sort of different styles. Again, right. this has changed over time to, again, more traveling. Franklin Roosevelt, you know, flies to the Democratic National Convention to accept in 1932, which lots of people died in plane crashes in 1932. was yeah. sort of daring just to get on this. Yeah. Um, to Harry Truman's famous uh, whistle-stop tour in 1948. And obviously, part of what's driving our accessibility to the president and to his campaign style and to his personality is technology. Yeah. 
yeah. people could understand Franklin Roosevelt because he had these fireside chats and right. he was in your living room talking. Today, right, and, and Ronald Reagan was a, you know, the great communicator because he was in your living room, you know, to sort of tie with what went before. He's a great, he's an actor. He would make me cry. Yeah. That, that Challenger speech, every time I, I hear it, mm-hmm. it's like I choke up. Yeah. And, so and could you argue then that Trump is just using the latest technology and communicating yes. with the people? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, whoever would be president now would use Twitter more, would use social media more than any other president because more and more people are using that. It's how to communicate with people. And it presents a particular set of advantages to a politician. And disadvantages. It has, it has risks. But the big advantage for politicians, right, regardless of whether it's Trump or Hillary or, you know, anybody, is the ability to communicate on social media means they can craft their own message, send it out immediately. And direct. And have, and and that doesn't go through the media. Right. That doesn't go through the news media. That goes directly to to their followers. Right. And so to get direct access out of that. Becky, I know you have a question. I I just want you to hold it for a second because this is a direct segue into a talk that Bush and Clinton had, uh, Bush Younger and, and Clinton had, that kind of talks about this idea of communication. I want to play that for you and then have, have you comment on it. And so here it is. It really surprised me how easily I could be turned into a two-dimensional cartoon instead of a three-dimensional human being. And you have to discipline yourself about what to talk about, how to talk about it. And you have to keep remembering there's all these layers between you and people that didn't used to be there. And that surprised me. I, I thought I was a pretty good communicator. I thought I could, you know, and I just fell on my face four or five times till I figured out how to do it. If somebody wants to be president of the United States, is the quality that is most important hard work, intelligence, optimism, luck? What do you think it takes for somebody who says, I want to be president, I want to be like you, I want to be like you? Humility. I think it's really important to know what you don't know and listen to people who do know what you don't know. I also think you have to begin with the end in mind. That is, you have to say, yeah, you got to win the election. But why in the heck are you running? If you, if you want to be president, realize it's about the people, not about you. And when it's over, and that's what a lot of these people who are real arrogant in office, they forget. Time passes. And it passes more, quicker than, more quickly than you know. You want to be able to say, People were better off when I quit. Kids had a better future. Things were coming together. You don't, you, you don't want to say, God, I, look at all the people I beat or the people I worked over. I think the most important thing is to be humble, to listen, to realize everybody's got a story. President Clinton, President Bush, I want to thank you for your service to our country and to thank you for the leadership you've given to so many people and thank you for what you're doing in your post-presidency. Thank you very much. Thank you all. And so there we have uh, two presidents, very different style mm-hmm. of presidency, and yes. yet they, they seem to be very much in tune with each other in that, mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Any comments on that? Well, there are a couple things sort of contrasting that to the current president, and I don't know when these, were, these remarks were made. And, Not but, that long ago. Yeah, which yeah. sort of makes sense, because why did Donald Trump want to be president? Right. And it's, it's hard to find. There are only a handful of common threads that run through Donald Trump's life. Um, very few of them have to do with, almost none have to do with politics. Right. And if you sort of look at his presidency, he's not driving, the tax cut bill wasn't his idea. 
the health, the uh, you know, cutting health care benefits was not his idea. That's being driven by predominantly the congressional Republicans, the right. House and Senate majority, and their mm-hmm. their intellectual leaders. He is sort of following in their wake when it comes to that, and they're willing to essentially, we will tolerate you yeah. and everything wrong with you, um, because we'll get what we want. And in a sense, Donald Trump, what does he want? He wants to be the president. He wants the title. I think he likes going to watch like military bands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that too. It's fine entertainment, but that's not why. No, that's not. not that's a not good why. That's not why Bill Clinton became president. That's not why uh, George Bush wanted to be president. Look, to be president, to be any politician, you need a good bit of ego, and and this is actually necessary because. And I worked on political campaigns. I was once asked to bring in any DVD I had because my candidate's kids were no longer allowed to watch TV because they got so upset at the attack ads. Wow. The attack ads weren't, and I can step back, they weren't unfair. They weren't wrong. They weren't anything that I wouldn't have, you know, not advised that campaign to run. Yeah. To run. But they made his children very, very upset for yeah. very understandable reasons. Um, you have to have a good sense of yourself to realize that by putting myself forward here, people are going to attack me just because I'm doing this. And more so when you run for president. So, you know, our president, current president takes that a little too much to, uh, to an extreme. He has a little too much ego. Yeah. And, but more importantly, he doesn't, it's not clear why he wants to be president for any reasons other than broad sense of sort of personal satisfaction. Yeah, well, we have some theories on that, I have to say. What did we say? That after when he's looking forward to after he's a president so that he can market his presidency right. the, I mean, he can, with the president's residence? He residents. can make a lot of money for his family. Absolutely. Once, <laughs> when, I mean, he's making money now for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, Becky, you, you wanted to ask about uh, well, his effect on the culture. No, actually, my question was really more about um, the difference between men and women and leadership roles. Um, I... Um, let me see if we can make it as, as brief as possible. But I watched, um, um, I, it was on the internet, it was a journalist who was wanted to figure out why um, Hillary Clinton was had been trashed so much. You know, what, where was it coming from? And he spoke to a lot of the uh, people that worked with her, you know, in her office, in her campaigns, in her, you know, when she was the Secretary of State, et cetera. And um, he got a very interesting, you know, um, similarity in their conversations. And he would say, they, they said that she would pull people together and she'd get the best people that she could find on, you know, to talk to on a certain issue. She'd pull them together and she would get a consensus and listen to what they were saying. And um, so that part of it is one part of it. And the other part is that I know she was criticized as not being a great orator. And that's something that, in this journalistic um, viewpoint, that that's something that we as Americans, and maybe in other countries as well, are used to and look for in our leaders. We look for good speakers, you know, mm-hmm. someone who really moves us. And, and, you know, so, and she is not that. So he was arguing, well, she's a woman, mm-hmm. and she has a different way of leading. But it's not attractive, I guess, to, um, you know, us seasoned voters. Yeah, there, there is... Certainly, something to that. There's certainly something in this. Hillary Clinton. One of Hillary Clinton's best skills is listening, and that's one of the reasons she was a very successful senator and had lots of people like her in that job. Uh, that her her colleagues and her colleagues on both sides of the aisle, and while she worked exceedingly well with people on sort of both sides, is that people admitted this that I said terrible things about her for eight years as first lady, and she was such a different person to me, sort of in person. On the other hand. 
what are, campaigns are not about listening. They're about telling. So that's a particular skill that comes across not at all. It's, it's sort of yeah. a, it's, 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 it's not a negative. It's just sort of a, it's just sort of a neutral. Is that masculine, feminine? Probably to some extent. It's hard to know at this point. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a female president. Yeah. What about Oprah? So. Yeah, this kind of opens up, a, I think Donald Trump opens up a whole new line of possibilities. I know Dwayne Johnson talked about running for president now, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. I don't think Dwayne Johnson's talked about it seriously, but he had a very good Saturday Night Live monologue about it, which I, which I enjoyed very much and uh, <laughs> recommend. But, um, you know, uh, there are two things with Oprah. One, she is famous and a celebrity and beyond, you know, uh, you know and, and beyond sort of what a regular celebrity is. Right. Um, she's a one-word entity beyond, uh-huh. um, you know, Jesus is here than probably Oprah. Yeah, um, right, yeah. Probably be the right way to think about Somewhere. that. Somewhere. And then President uh, Oprah. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, um, our current experience with having a celebrity president right. is, is not necessarily making me up hind for future future celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had people suggest sort of like the best contrast for Democrats is just to run the most boring person possible in 2020. Um, and, and it would be to, such a relief. Yes. It's like, oh, yes. oh, I can stop reading the news all the time. I can just, re- just enjoy myself. And by the way, I think the person who, and then if you want to attach a name to that, yeah. it would be uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Okay. Who, um, a woman. The most, okay. Famous, the most famous thing she ever did that she's done in the United States Senate is she asked um, Sonia Sotomayor in her, uh, in her confirmation hearings, uh, how would she decide between the case that her teenage daughters and their friends had been debating the night before, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Where would she fail on Twilight? Um, oh wow! Oh, that's like funny. She's, she's got everything. Yeah, so she's boring. She's mm-hmm. got the media connection. She's from Minnesota and she's sounds from like Minnesota. It. Minnesota. She makes corny jokes. Yeah, she makes corny jokes and sounds just and like. Finally, you did maybe we so. get a get a get a woman as president. Brian Arbor, thank you so much. Thank we you have for talked me. many times in the past in, in other programs, and we we need to have you on again with with other questions about this uh, this president and. And where we're, where we're going from here? So uh, thank you very much, and I'll see you on campus. You know, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing a regular, a regular um, Brian Auber, you know, little talk during the next presidential campaign. I uh, well, wouldn't I think that be we'll great? Have to bring bring him back in and tell tell us what's going on with the predictions and all. For sure. And we'll so we'll, maybe next maybe we'll 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 break on on the predictions. So thank you again, Brian. We are Bar Crawl Radio, podcasting from Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, right off Broadway. And um, Gephardt's is going to become our regular home base, as we said before, recording from the porch here at Gephardt's once a month. Of course, we'll be going out to other bars, bringing those interviews back to Gephardt's. And you know what we're going to? We're heading off to Iceland next in about a week. Yeah, very soon. I'm very excited. Maybe we'll get some bar sounds there, huh? I'm I'm, going to bring the recording equipment along. All right, all right. And in February, we'll be talking with Harlem Art Gallery owner Avi Gittler, Avi Gittler, and artist Nick Holliber about their project of bringing monumental sculptures of American birds that are going extinct they're going to bring those birds to the Broadway malls in the form of sculptures. Yeah, representations right. of them, yeah. And they'll be doing that in cooperation with Broadway Mall Association and the Audubon Society. We'll report more on that. In future programs, we will be featuring an hour-long podcast on the music of Wade Ripka. Our, this is his music that you hear in the background. Yeah, here it is. A conversation with scientist Nathan Lentz on how screwed up human genetics really is. And we'll be talking about the gentrification of the Lower East Side with Richard Osejo author of Upscaling Downtown from Bowery Saloons to Cocktail Bars in New York City. And he's also from John Jay College. 
Yeah. I know, Richard I know. Wright. You got a great, uh, you know, connections there. Yeah. So watch our Facebook page for our recording schedule and come out to Gabhards to say hi and catch a shout out. Who, Who knows? knows? We, we may, may be, be at, at a bar, bar near, near you. you.